Amen. It has been a blessing already to just sing the praises of Zion with you and to just be to gather together. I know that there are some missing, but it is a blessing to see you that are here. And I ask you if you will turn in God's word to Colossians. Colossians chapter 3. We'll look at verses 1 through 4. And the title of the message will be Risen with Christ. Risen with Christ will be the title of the message. It's found right there in Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 through 4. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things in the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with Him in glory. Amen and amen. Risen with Christ. My desire today, brothers and sisters, is to encourage the weary Christian. I want to encourage the the labored, the heavy laden, the burdened Christian um, and I can assure you that if, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, that's probably every single one of you and myself today. Because as, as Job said, man that is born of a woman is a few days and full of trouble. So I know that there are burdens, there, there are labors, there are frustrations, there's probably some guilt, there's some pain. Because we, we do live in a sin-cursed earth. So I can assure you, not because of me, but I can assure you that everybody here needs this message today. Needs the message from Colossians chapter 3. Again, whether the Lord blesses me to just preach in power or not, we need the message today. I cannot tell you how many times, specifically over the last three years, that I've had to call to mind this passage. Seek those things which are above. Set your affections on things above. I know that we who are all created in the image of God, yet we are marred by sin. I know that we all may be prone to different types of sins. Maybe some are prone to to lust. Some are prone to anger, lack of self-control. Some may be prone to um, laziness. And I never thought of myself as one who was... um, prone to anxiety or depression. I've never thought of myself to be that way. Yet, um, after college, and um, something that was very dear to me was was done, and that was my getting to play basketball in college. My college, my basketball career, for all intents and purposes, was over. I cannot tell you how depressed that made me feel. I was, mar- I was happily married, had a child, and yet I went through a very dark season in my life. And finally, I believe the Holy Spirit finally revealed to me, and a lot of it was through this passage, that my priorities, my identity was disordered. It was not ordered rightly. My, my identity was less on Christ and more on a game. Then I remember one night, particularly in 2020, 
I recommend before you go to sleep, don't watch the news or, or get on social media or on Twitter. It is not a good idea. But I did. And one night I was just so gripped with panic, just so gripped with fear um, that I, I just I couldn't sleep. I, I just had to go to God's Word and pray. Um, and I'll never forget this email that Brother Isaac sent to the church right around that time in, in I guess, March of 2020. It's always stuck with me. He ended the email with this exhortation. And this is the exhortation I want to send to you to give to you today. He said as he ended the email, he said, Make it a priority. Make it a priority to get away from the breaking news and onto the Ancient of Days. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's my exhortation to you. Let's make it a priority to get away from the things of this world, the breaking news of this world, the chaos of this world, and onto the One who never changes, the One who is sovereign, the Ancient of Days, Jesus Christ. So, my prayer, my hope, my desire for today is that you, weary, anxious, fearful saint, I want to stir your affections anew for the One who loved you even before the world began. The one who sent his only son, the son of his love, his beloved son, from heaven to earth to suffer for you, to suffer for your sins, to pay the debt that you owed and I owed but could never pay, and yet did it because he loves you. Now, if you're here today, I want to make this clear, not in an angry way at all, but I want to make this clear. If you are here today and you are comfortable in your sins, and you have no, no really thoughts for the Lord Jesus Christ, my aim is not to comfort you. My aim is that the Holy, my prayers of the Holy Spirit will convict you and afflict you, and that, that, um, that you will turn from that and follow after Jesus Christ. So, let's, let's read the passage again. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God, Set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with Him in glory. Paul is writing this at the time he is in prison. And this has always been been such a blessing to me that, that Paul... You're talking about somebody who's not wasting time. Somebody who could have been at this point in time in prison and saying, Lord, what are you doing? I've, I've been in your service. I'm trying to preach. I'm trying to start these churches. And, you, and yet you let these people throw, in me and throw me in prison. Woe is me. That's the opposite of what Paul is doing. Paul has spent, he is busying himself in the kingdom of God, writing letters to churches, rebuking people, encouraging people, pointing people to Jesus Christ even while he's in prison. And so the saints at Colossae, who he's writing to, are very near and dear to his heart. Uh, matter of fact, it says in Colossians chapter 2, this could be, it's very well that he likely had never seen these people in person, and yet he has a deep love for them. In Colossians 2 it says, For I would that you knew what great conflict I have for you. That is, that is I, I, I agonize over you. I pray for you. I lose sleep over you, saints, because I love you this much. He says, um, 
For I would that you knew what great conflict I have for you and for them at Laodicea and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh. It, again, it's very well. He may, he's never even seen these people. But what is, his, what, is he, what is he agonizing over them for? It is for this, verse 2 of Colossians 2, that their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love and into all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Sadly, there is a a horrible heresy uh, called Gnosticism that was prevalent in the time at Colossae. And uh, part part of what that heresy taught was that anything done in the body had no bearing. The body and soul are completely different. And so anything that you do with your body, it has no bearing whatsoever. So you can live however you want to live. Imagine the grossest immorality was going on in Colossae at this time and even creeping into the church. But it had no no, uh, meaning because they believed that only real life existed in the spirit world, in the spirit realm. And so... This led to just gross immorality. And again, it was creeping into the church. Uh, the Gnostics also denied the incarnation of Jesus Christ. They did not believe that, that God really became a man. And they believed that they had some sort of higher knowledge. Uh, they, they believed that we could never actually come to Christ. We, you would have to worship angels. And angels would be the, the, uh, the mediator between, between uh, you and God. And Paul is, uh, he is obviously uh, denying that. He, his, his prayer, and he wants them to know that as in Colossians 1, it says that in all things, Christ must be preeminent. Christ must be first in rank. And so that's what he is teaching them. That's what he is imploring them and exhorting them to in this letter. And so I just have three headings or three points. The title of the message again is Risen with Christ. And the three points are this. Who is, I want to look at first, the object of our affection. It says, set your affection on things above. Who is the object of our affection? Believer. And then, number two, I want to look at the believer's status or position or identity. What is you? If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, I want you to know what your status is, what your identity is. And then lastly, is just the admonition. The admonition, the exhortation. And so... First off, Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, If ye then be, and it could be translated since you are, or since you have been, since you have been risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Believer in Jesus Christ, do you know who the object of your affection is? He sits in a place of royalty. He sits in a place of honor and authority. We just witnessed the coronation of a new king in England. Brothers and sisters, way beyond someone who, who fills a, uh, some sort of uh, position, some sort of in some ways an empty position as King Charles is the King of Kings, Jesus Christ, who sits at the right hand of the Father. Brothers and sisters, um, Colossians would say in, in chapter one that he is the Jesus is the firstborn of every creature. That means he is supreme over all creation. Matter of fact, he created all things by him. Colossians says by him all things consist. That is, they are held together by Jesus 
the Christ, the Messiah, He sits at the right hand of the Father. He does not sit in a posture of laziness or weakness. He sits in a posture of sovereign satisfaction and victory. He sits as a king who has done the work of the Father, who has done a perfect job, and He sits with complete sovereign satisfaction. 1 Peter would say that He is, His testimony of the exalted Christ, that angels and authorities and powers are subject to Him. There are a lot of powers out there. A lot of competing powers. A lot of competing world powers. A lot of competing political powers. They are all subject to the power the almighty power of Jesus Christ. He is supreme. He is, brothers and sisters, preeminent. Turn with me to Acts chapter 2. And I want to read verses 31 through 36. This is what Peter says at the day of Pentecost. This is his testimony of Jesus Christ. Again, who is the object of our affection? Who is the object that, that Paul is exhorting the Colossians and exhorting the Grace Chapelinians today to have affection for? He is the King of Kings. He is in a place of honor. This is what Peter says. Acts chapter 2, verses 31 through 36. He, that he being Peter, seeing this before, <coughs> excuse me, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. Listen, this Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we, are all, we all are witnesses, therefore being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, He hath shed forth this, which ye now see and hear. For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he saith himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, he's quoting from Psalms here, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand until I make thy foes thy footstool. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Brothers and sisters, one of these days, every angel that we already are in a sense, but everybody will be completely subject to the Lord Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One, the King of Kings. Every tongue will confess. Every knee will bow. Some with gritted teeth. Some not wanting to, but have to. That Jesus Christ is Lord. Paul would say in Ephesians chapter 1, talking about the exceeding greatness of His power to usward who believe according to the working of His mighty power which He wrought in Christ when He raised Him from the dead <coughs> excuse me, and set Him at His own right hand in the heavenly places far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named not only in this world but also in that which is to come. Brothers and sisters, the most powerful CEO the most powerful um, media personality, the powers of this world, or the, the principalities, the spirit world, all the darkest 
uh, goings on, the demons, they have to tremble at the King of Kings. He is Lord. So, who is the object of, of the one that we are to have affection for? He sits at the right hand of the Father. He sits, again, in a place of, of honor. Well, also, this is what he says. He says that this king, this sovereign, willingly, the one who, who in, uh, in him should all fullness, or, or in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Jesus Christ is God. He is the human expression of God. But it says in Philippians that He willingly humbled Himself. He willingly became, as um, Isaiah 53 would say, numbered with the transgressors. He humiliated Himself for your sake, believer in Jesus Christ. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. This king was crucified between two malefactors. This king was stretched so far physically who was whipped to say it's cruel is, is, is an understatement. I've said this before, but think of some of the worst pain you've ever had, physical pain that you've experienced. You may say, man, I was in some excruciating pain. You know where we get that word from? Excruciating, excrux, out of the cross, from the cross. Jesus Christ, the King, knew what it was to actually experience ex cruciating pain and he did it willingly but praise God this one who humbled himself it says wherefore in Philippians 2 wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name and I've already quoted this but I'll say it again that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father so I want you to be encouraged in that take heart in that don't let this just Go in one ear and out the other because this is familiar ground. This is, these are familiar passages. You know these. Oh, brothers and sisters, may God open your eyes, open our eyes and our hearts as if we've never heard this before to be able to receive this and believe this and be encouraged by this. Jesus Christ is Lord and He died for you. He loves you brother and sister in Christ. And so, that being said, what is your, back to, the, back to the text, Colossians 3, what is your position or your status in Christ? This is, what this is, is this is a, this is a, a statement of identity. It says, if ye then be, the title of the message, if ye then be risen with Christ. Again, it could be translated, since you have been risen with Christ. 
That's a statement of identity. We all have identity, ways to, to which to identify ourselves. I'm an American. I'm, a, I'm born in the state of Tennessee, city of Memphis. I'm a guest. I'm a father, husband, employee. I'm a, I'm a believer. I'm an elder. So a lot of ways with which we can identify ourselves. But the only identity that really matters is this. That when the Holy Spirit indwells a sinner's heart, it comes inside of a sinner's heart, that life is changed. Colossians would say even translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's dear Son, Jesus Christ. That sinner who has been indwelt by the Holy Spirit has been given a new heart, new desires, new priorities, who's been called out of darkness and into the marvelous light of God's saving, life-giving, regenerating, converting grace, and has been given a new identity, an identity that has now risen with Christ. And that the way that we show that identity is by baptism. This is what baptism mirrors. Baptism is a picture of the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So when a child of God, and I pray for those who have not been baptized, I pray that the Lord would so touch your heart. When a child of God has been brought to see themselves as a sinner, completely unable to save yourself, They've trusted in the sufficient work of Jesus Christ as the only hope of their salvation, His sufficient, His complete, His successful work on the cross. The first step to show that that obedience is to be identified with Him in baptism. Colossians would say and Romans would say to be buried with Him in baptism and then to walk in the newness of life. So brother and sister in Christ, believer in Jesus Christ, you, your identity is rooted in Christ. You are risen with Christ. Ephesians 2 verse 6 would say that uh, Jesus hath raised us up together, or God, God the Father hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now, I'm not smart enough to really explain that, but there is a sense in which if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, bought and paid for by the blood of the Lamb, there is a sense in which you already are uh, sitting together in heavenly places in Christ. The theologians call this already, not yet. So there is therefore truly now no condemnation to you, believer in Christ. But of course we know we still have our sin nature. We have not yet been glorified. It's the already, not yet paradigm, I guess. I was talking about this with with uh, Brother Daniel a couple of weeks ago or a week or so ago, and there's a, a, a minister who is likening it to this. Imagine if you had a dead body, a dead corpse, and he is tied to your body, he's tied to your back, and you still have, it's, it's the new you and the old you, the new you and then the, the, the carnal nature, and you have this old, dead, stinking corpse that's still tied to your body, That's how it is. But one day, praise God for believers in Jesus Christ, that corpse is going to be thrown away completely and you're going to be glorified and there will be no more sin struggle. We will be completely, it already is complete, I know, but but 
in a glorified way, risen with Christ. That is shouting ground. So believer in Christ, you are risen with Christ. What else are you? If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth, for ye are dead. Well, that doesn't sound very pleasant. Oh, yes it is. What he's saying is, you are dead to your sins. You are no longer a slave to your sins. Satan wants you to think that you still are a slave to your sin. Like the story that Brother Zach tells about the, the uh, tying the horse to the hitching rack. Satan is a liar. He is the father of lies. He is a deceiver. And so he does want you to think that you still are a slave to your sin. But brothers and sisters in Christ, let God speak to you today. God is speaking. Where does God speak? He speaks through His Word. What does God say? God says, and through the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 5.17, says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Praise God. Do you believe that? Romans chapter 5 and I'm going to read, it's going to be a longer portion, but please stay with me. Romans chapter 5, and I'll start in verse 19. I'm going to read up through, I think, Romans chapter 6, verse 6, or verse 7. He's going to start off, Paul is starting off, going to contrast Adam with Jesus. The first Adam with the second Adam, the better Adam, Jesus Christ. So Romans chapter 5, verse 19 <laughs> Again, this is, this is talking about our status in Christ, our identity in Christ, our position in Christ. We've been risen with Christ, and now we are dead to our sins. That's what I'm trying to um, get across. Romans chapter 5, verse 19. For as by one man's disobedience, talking about Adam, of course, many were made sinners. So by the obedience of one, praise God, Jesus Christ, shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might, might abound. But, is this your life story right here, what I'm about to read? Is this your testimony? But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Aren't you thankful that the grace of God is more powerful than all of your sin? The hymn, I don't think it's any of our books, but uh, I don't even know the title of it, but the, one of the lines is, is grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all of my sin. Aren't you thankful that where sin abounded, and it did, and it does in a sense still, grace does much more abound. Verse 21 of Romans 5, That as sin that as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. I'm going to skip. I'm going to skip to Romans chapter 6, verse 6. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with Him. Ye are dead. You're dead to your sins. That the, our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. That's your identity, believer in Jesus Christ. That's your position. That's your position. 
You're risen with Christ. You're dead to your sins. And we're not done yet. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. This is called the eternal security of the believers, preservation and perseverance of the saints. Brothers and sisters, aren't you thankful that Jesus, after He did His perfect, effectual work on the cross, then He rises again, and you remember He spends a 40-day period on earth before He ascends back into heaven. Aren't you thankful that He didn't tell the, the disciples, well, I did my part. Good luck from here on out. Oh, praise God, He did not do that. He did not do that. He sent His Holy Spirit, that paraclete, that comforter, that helper, the one who leads us into truth, who guides us, who, yes, convicts us and chastises us. But brothers and sisters in Christ, your life is secure. Your spirit, your eternal life is secure. I've heard it said this way about salvation. God's grace has saved us. It is saving us. And it will save us. It's all a complete package. God's great salvation. You are secure in Jesus Christ, believer. John chapter 10. This is one we love. We know and love. John chapter 10. What does Jesus say? Verse 27. My sheep hear my voice. I know them. What's the response? And they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Brother Isaac on Wednesday night was going through John 17, and I love the way, he, I believe he, he referenced this passage. And... You know how a young, young boys, especially and young girls too, about their daddy. Well, my daddy's better than your daddy. My daddy's the best of all. It kind of sounds like that's what Jesus is saying here. He said, my father, which gave them me, is greater than all. And no man is able to pluck them out of my father's hand. Aren't you thankful for that? Your life is hid with Christ in God. It's a great picture, uh, the, the, the ark. You remember the ark and the flood when... The whole world, the whole entire world was given over to complete just ungodliness, to wickedness. And God, if I can say it this way, was fed up. He was fed up. And He judged the whole world with the flood, except for eight people, Noah and his family. And He told Noah, Build this ark. God, what is an ark? What is that? Well, God gave him all the instructions, and he spent years, I forget, I should have looked this up earlier, he spent many, many years, Brother Tony could probably tell us, many years building this ark, constructing this ark, no doubt was laughed at, what are you doing? It sure is sunny here today. What, what, what are you building this thing for? You're wasting your time. Well, we know what happened. 40 days and 40 nights of nothing but rain. Everything was destroyed. Everybody was destroyed except for Noah and his family and, and the animals that, that God preserved. Well, brothers and sisters, 
The ark is a beautiful picture of Jesus Christ and the safety and the security that is found in Jesus Christ. Do we deserve the floods of God's wrath and anger? Of course we do. There's none righteous, no, not one. There's none that seek after God. We wouldn't desire God in and of ourselves. But praise God for His grace that is greater than all of your sin and all of my sin. And you are safe and secure in the ark that is Jesus Christ. Nothing, nothing, nothing can separate you from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, the object of your affection, the object of who we are to set our affections above, or set our affection on, He is King of kings. He sits at the right hand of the Father in a place of royalty and honor and power and authority. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, that is your position is that you are risen with Christ. You are dead to your sin and your life is hid with Christ in God. Still not done yet with that second point though. More good news. What is the gospel? The gospel is good news. It's the proclamation of the good news of Jesus Christ. Well, we have more good news for you, believer. I'll start back in verse 3 of Colossians 3. For you are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, and um, the if you'll notice in your Bible that the who, and I, the who is is in italics, and that means that was supplied by the translators just to help help it flow. But we could say, when Christ our life, Christ our life shall appear, then shall ye also appear with Him in glory. Believer in Jesus Christ, you are headed for glory. You are headed for heaven. It belongs to you. First John. First John chapter four. First, th- I mean, sorry, chapter three. Behold, behold. What does that mean? Stop what you're doing and pay attention. I have good news. Behold, consider. What are we to consider? What are we to stop and pay attention to? 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not because it knew Him not. Beloved. Again, we talk about that, that word. I love that word, beloved. When God talks, the Father talks about His Son, Jesus, when He says, this is my beloved Son, you are the Son of my love. That's you though, believer in Christ. You are the objects of God's perfect love. So he says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him, for we shall shall see Him as He is. I don't know what all that entails. Obviously, some... False religions such as the uh, Latter-day Saints do believe that, that, uh, that you will become gods. You will actually become gods. Well, that's not true. 
But there is a sense that we will be like Him in that we will know no sin. K-N-O-W-N-O, sin. We will know no sin. Can you imagine? Let me be honest. It's hard for me to imagine because I've known nothing but my sin-cursed nature all my life. You have no more of your own sin or just living with the effects of living in a sin-cursed earth. You will be like Jesus and be able to bask in His glorious light, His glorious presence. In our meeting back in July, I remember Brother Thomas Mann using this analogy, and it's something that I pray as I, when I preach the gospel. This is what I pray that, that will be said of me. He said, imagine if the gospel of Jesus Christ was a painting. The um, intention of the preacher and Christians alike should be to get, as we're holding up this painting, to get as little of our fingers and our thumbs in the way as possible. So that you're not looking at, oh, look at this painting and all you see is my arm in the way. Does that make sense? Brothers and sisters, that's what I want this to be today. That you will see Jesus. That you will see Him, in a sense, as He is in all His glory. That you will be able to worship Him. You will be able to glorify Him. That you will know whatever is is laboring you, is burdening you down. If it's sin that is unconfessed, that you will confess that sin and get right with God. And that this will be, in a sense, a beautiful painting and you will see just none of my thumb in the way. That you will see, Jesus, that Christ will increase and that I and we will decrease. Praise God. You were hidden in Christ. You were risen with Christ. You were dead to your sins. And then when Christ, who is your life, shall appear, then shall you also appear with Him in glory. Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, For our conversation, that word conversation means citizenship. For our citizenship is in heaven. From whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, our body of humiliation. There any aches and pains in the house today? There's some cancer patients that we're praying for. Again, just the effects of living in a sin-cursed earth. Who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Praise God, brothers and sisters. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are risen with Christ. Your life is hid in Christ. You are dead to your sins. And your lot, your inheritance is glory. Is glory. So, as I close, what is the admonition? What is the admonition? The admonition is to make it a priority to get your mind off the breaking news and onto the Ancient of Days. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God, set 
your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. Paul's desire for the saints at Colossae and for us here today is that our minds and our hearts will be disciplined to spiritual things, things that honor Christ, things that will glorify Him. I love what what, uh, Strong says in his concordance about this, setting our affection on things above. The word here, set your affections on things above, it could be translated, you're minding things above. Your mind is on things above. He says, to pursue those things which gratify not the flesh, but the Holy Spirit. What are you pursuing with your mind on a daily basis? Where do your priorities lie? On a daily basis. Paul says in Romans 8, chapter, 5, chapter 8, verse 5 and 6, he says, For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. You know, there has been a battle for the mind ever since Genesis, Genesis chapter 3. What does God tell Adam? Every tree in the garden is yours to enjoy. Tend this garden. Cultivate this garden. Live in complete peace and, and joy and happiness except this one tree. This one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But yet, what does that conniving serpent do? Plays with Eve's mind. Adam wasn't the man he should have been. Instead, he should have gotten in between his wife and the serpent and said, stop talking to my wife. Get out of here. But there was a battle for the mind. You won't surely die if you eat. I know what God told you. You're not going to come on. Come on, he's exaggerating. You won't surely die. You know what actually is going to happen? If you eat this, you will become like God. A battle for the mind. Lies. In our day, there's also a battle for the mind. And I think, there's all, again, there's always been a battle for the mind, but in a sense, I think it's at an all-time high. And the reason I say this is because there is so much access to information. We live in an information-crazed society. I mean, it is info-overload. We have Google. Some of us prefer DuckDuckGo. <laughs> uh, we have social media. You know, it used to be where there would be news for the day. You would, you would read about it the next day or maybe on, on the nightly news station. But now, when there's news, you hear about it probably 10 seconds after it happens. That's maybe a slight exaggeration, but only slight. You hear about it right then. And so people feel like they have to have an opinion right then and there. There is a battle for the mind. Where are you setting your affections? What are you minding 
Paul, I read in Philippians chapter 3, the, the beautiful passage about our citizenship being in heaven. Well, in the verses before, he contrasts those whose citizenship is in heaven for those whose citizenship is in hell. And this is how he describes them. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. What are you minding, brother and sister in Christ? Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, we know it well. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed, how? By the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I love what one pastor says about renewing your mind. He says, this is that kind of transformation that can occur only as the Holy Spirit changes our thinking through consistent study and meditation of Scripture. The renewed mind is one saturated with and controlled by the Word of God. What are we saturating our minds with? My exhortation, brother and sister in Christ, is to make it a priority to have consistent time with God, minding those things which are above. Consistent time in prayer. Being, having a steady diet of being under the sound of the Gospel. Being faithful to God's house. Being faithful to uh, cultivate godly friendships inside the church, inside this congregation, this church family. As we point each other to Jesus Christ. How do we mind things that are above? Paul would tell us here in the verses following. I'm not going to go through all these, but you know, he talks about the put-offs and the put-ons. He talks about we need to put to death some things. Mortify your members which are upon earth. Fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection. All these, these sinful lusts and desires, this idolatry. And then instead he says, put on as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering. All of these things. Then what does He say? I read this during the prayer service. In verse 16, He says, Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. I remember Brother Roy Beecham when he spoke one time, was talking about the difference. We're talking about the word dwell. And he's talking about the difference in a hotel and a home. You know, you may go on a vacation or go on a business trip or something like that, and you stay in a hotel for two or three days, but then you pack up and go, and where do you go? You go home. Well, this is the idea here, that word dwell. Let the Word of Christ, in a sense, let your heart not be a hotel room for the Word of God. Let it be a home, a permanent residence for the Word of God, the Word of Christ. May it dwell in you richly. 
How else do we mind the things of God? It would go on. It would say teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. I don't think that's overstating it. Part of the way we set our affections on things above is singing. It's praising God in song. It is admonishing one another as we do that. So brother and sister in Christ, I hope this has been encouraging. I want you to be encouraged. I do want you to be challenged. And my prayer again is that that you will set your affections on things of, of Christ. That you, through His Word, through prayer, through confession of sin, through singing, and then rinse and repeat. And again, if you're not converted... My prayer is that that you will not so much be comforted, but you will be convicted that the Holy Spirit will touch your heart and that you too will set your affection on things above. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, I thank You for Your Word. I thank You for the rich truths of Your Word. Lord, we don't, I don't deserve the least of Your blessings. But yet, Your Word says that I am risen with Christ. That my life is hidden, it's safe, it's secure with Christ through You, Lord. So God, because of that, because I'm dead to my sins, because I don't have to be a slave to my sins, bless me to mind those things which are above. Bless me to set my affection on things above. I pray this for Grace Chapel. Lord, I pray for Grace Chapel that we will set our affections on things above. That we will love one another that we will grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, that Satan will not have one single foothold on this church. All for the glory of Jesus Christ, whose name I pray. Amen.